morning. This is Humanity Meets Business, Business Therapy with Christine Salvo. Today, I'm so excited to announce our guest. Margaret Crowley is an attorney and owner of Crowley Mediation, LLC. She's been licensed to practice law in Nevada since 1991 and began mediating in 2008. She has mediated over 1,000 cases. Margaret's private practice focuses on elder care, family, employment, and general civil mediation, as well as mediation and conflict strategies training. Margaret served for five years as a program administrator for the Juvenile Dependency Mediation Program, a unique statewide mediation program in Nevada. In addition to serving as a Supreme Court settlement judge, Margaret has mediated for the U.S. Department of Interior, the second and ninth judicial district's CUSI mediation panels, the second judicial district's dependency and guardianship mediation programs, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, and the Foreclosure Mediation Program. Margaret teaches 40-hour mediation trainings privately and as an adjunct professor for Board Boyd Law School and the National Judicial College, and also teaches for the University of Nevada, Reno, and the Nevada Supreme Court. Margaret has authored several published articles on mediation and received the 2020 Impact of the Year Award, National Council of Juvenile and Family Court Judges for her work in dependency mediation. Wow, Margaret, that was literally a lot of tongue twisting and a mouthful. <laughs> I don't think I've said judicial that many times in a row. What an impressive, impressive, you know, background and and resume and all these wonderful ways that you're helping people. So just in advance, I want to say thank you for what you do. And just well, for, good, yeah. Sorry about that. I was just going to say good morning back to you and, and thank you for uh, for going through that long resume. It makes me sound like a very fancy person, which I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I couldn't wait to have you on the show. Um, Margaret was actually there. She was one of my trainers back in 2013 when I got, became certified with my 40 hour and uh, she impacted me immediately. That was a really, really amazing training with, um, with people and the skills really have lasted from that point on, right? So thank you for, for all that you do. And I already know, you know what you're like as a teacher. So Margaret, I kind of, I like to start with like, what got you in the law? What's got you to transition into mediation? A little bit about your journey and, and what that's been like for you. Sure. So, so we'll start with the law. As you um, pointed out, I've been a lawyer for 30 years. And what got me there um, was, I guess, just me. Um, from the time I could speak, my parents would tell me, oh, you're going to be a lawyer. Uh, you know, for example, they'd say, okay, Margaret, um, it's eight o'clock, it's time to go to bed. And I might respond with something like, well, actually, last night I went to bed at 7.55, so I think that I should be able to go to bed at 8.05 tonight. Um, so my poor parents would just have that response uh, every single time, and really by the time I was about eight, uh, I had, it had solidified that this was what I was going to do with my life. And I never wavered from that. I decided to major in English when I got to college because I think that um, knowing how to write well and communicate well is so important for any career and certainly for the law. So that I, I specifically chose that major and immediately went to law school afterwards. And in a lot of ways, it was really rewarding to be a lawyer. Uh, there is a part of me that loves to be an advocate and to argue things and to be right. Um, but after about 17 years of practice, 
that started to lose its luster. I was intellectually challenged, but realized that litigating matters, it's just not a great way to solve problems. And I'm very problem solving oriented. So I, I kind of became disenchanted with practicing law, but I couldn't figure out what I wanted to do next. So um, I actually, with the support of my lovely husband, just quit my job. I had a wonderful job um, at the time as a government lawyer, a civil deputy district attorney, but we also had three kids and life was busy and um, I, I did not know where to go next. So I quit. <laughs> I love that, Margaret. So, so, so much of my, of this like show is about exactly what you talked about. Adults going through transitions and hearing that other adults went through transitions too. And if you're on the verge of wanting to go on to make a transition, knowing you're not alone, like that, that moment where it was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I lost my passion for it. I can do it intellectually, but my heart isn't in it. And then making that courageous choice to quit. That's a really difficult decision for a lot of us, right? Especially as adults, we've invested our time, our money, our education in these careers. And the idea of leaving it is like, oh God, well, what would I do now? Right? So just the fact and mere fact that you identified it and then you took action, not necessarily knowing what was next, so that's a pretty, that's a pretty courageous move. It was the scariest thing I ever did. <laughs> um, I, I actually gave four months notice because I had been with the office for 15 plus years. And so I, I felt like I wanted to give them a, a lot of time, but I spent um, almost the entire four months doubting my choice. Um, sometimes crying, sometimes saying, what am I doing? You know, this is nuts. I have this great job that pays me so well, but I, I knew, you know, deep down that this was the right step. And so for anybody who's thinking about that, if you, if you have the ability to do it, um, the minute I walked out from uh, my goodbye party, I never looked back. I never regretted it for a minute. And what I found, I, I did it on the last day of school. Um, and so the summer really began and I spent the entire summer with my kids. And I found out the reason why I, I couldn't figure out what my next move was. And it was because I was just up to my eyeballs in stress and there was no space in my life to really think about what's next. And so when you're, you know, your life is jammed like it is when you're working and doing other things, unless you find a way to make that space, it's hard to know what to do next. So for me, it, it took something drastic, like kind of just jumping off a cliff and, and quitting my job. Um, and I could feel all of that stress that summer, just leaving my body. Um, it was one of the best things I've ever done. Oh, yeah, I love, I love that you took the leap. That is, I know that that's just such a difficult thing to do. So just picking up with that conversation, what happened next? So you, it takes four months to decompress. You're kind of going through this like sea of regret and, oh my God, did I make the right decision? And, and, you know, what's next for me? So how did you settle on mediation? How did you go from this to that? Right. Well, I I am such a firm believer in, um, you know, what is meant to happen is going to happen. 
So had that great summer, really de-stressed. The kids went back to school uh, and I found myself incredibly bored. You know, here I, I remember sitting at my laundry table, folding my kids' socks and thinking, this is what I went to law school for. So <laughs> I, I started um, looking and, and just keeping my, my ear to the ground. And I happened to go to lunch one day um, with one of my former colleagues and we got to talking and we were um, talking about a, a judge in town who was retired and I said, you know, oh, what what is he doing? And she said, he's mediating. And it was like this light bulb went off in my head. I had um, practiced in human resources uh, when I was with the county and that did involve some mediation. And even though it's, it's not the kind of mediation um, style that I ended up adopting, something about that concept just resonated with me. So I went home and I Googled mediation training and it turned out there was a training in Reno three weeks later, um, a 40 hour basic mediation training. And I thought, okay, this is meant to be. So I signed up for the training, um, had a wonderful instructor and I just knew um, 40 hour trainings are just like what they, uh, they sound. They are you know, usually, usually five, eight hour days. And by the end of that training, I was so hooked on this idea of mediation that I, I came out knowing, okay, this is what I'm meant to be doing with my life. Yeah. So that's so funny. And it, it, it almost like fell on your lap. Yes, it really did. Yeah. I always say I, I accidentally stumbled into mediation. <laughs> so, you know, being, being my trainer back in 2013, but also obviously both of our careers have gone our own ways with mediation. Um, I know that we have a shared philosophy, which is the more mediators, the better. Oh. And so why don't you kind of tell our listeners a little bit about a 40 hour mediation? Um, because some people have a misconception of like, maybe only attorneys can be mediators or like, what's the criteria for mediation? Maybe you can go a little bit through the logistics of that. Sure, I would be happy to, um, because I do get that question all the time when people ask, well, what, what do you do for a living? I always say I'm a mediator. I, I don't say I'm an attorney, um, but usually the response is, oh, so you must, you must be an attorney. And I'll say, well, I happen to be, but you don't have to be an attorney to be a mediator. And as a teacher, I have now taught 21 40-hour mediation trainings. Wow. Um, and so I can see, I can, I can see it's not as much your background um, but it's your skills. It's the skills you come into a training with. You need to have soft skills, people skills, that ability to um, to listen and build a rapport with others. And a 40-hour training um, is what gives you the tools to conduct a mediation process. So 40-hour trainings are, uh, it, the mediation process really is a process. Um, if there are, are people out there listening who have maybe been parties in mediation, it might not have appeared to be a process, but um, if you had a good mediation and a good mediator, your mediator was, was guiding you through um, an eight to 10 step process. And in order to do that, uh, you not only need to know what the process is, you need to practice your skills, your skills like listening, um, you know, reflecting back, on what people are saying, summarizing, reframing, maybe the way that they're saying things so that the other person can hear, helping 
deal with their emotions, helping them um, maybe calm down and be able to logically think. There's just so much that goes into a mediation. And I, um, I tell people all the time that the world would be a better place if everyone could take a mediation training, because it's not just about using it as a profession. These are skills that I use daily. Um, I use them with my family. I use them with my friends. The advocate in me that uh, who went to law school, you know, is, is still there in small ways. But really, uh, I, the way that I approach things now that I'm a mediator is just so different uh, and, and so much more gentle and it's more, I think, of, of what we need in the world. Couldn't agree more. <laughs> I could not agree more. And just a little of a side note. So you don't have to be an attorney. Is there any education requirements to be a certified mediator? Well, that's what's so interesting. So it's going to vary state by state. Every state does things differently. In Nevada, um, there actually isn't a statewide certification requirement. Um, so I always like to joke, well, my 27-year-old son could hang out a shingle and say, I'm a mediator. Uh, you wouldn't want to choose him as a mediator because he has no training <laughs> and that's not his personality. Um, so the way it works, uh, the simple answer is there's absolutely, as I just said, no requirements. The more complex answer is most mediators get cases by um, being a part of what's called court annexed programs. So there are, for example, child custody mediation panels in some of the jurisdictions in Nevada. Um, I do Supreme Court cases. Um, for that, you actually do have to be an attorney. Uh, there is a panel for the Supreme Court, um, you know, that that has mediators who specifically do appellate matters. There are mediators who do child abuse and neglect cases. I sit on that panel and um, I think we have about, there are 22 of us, but half of our panel are not attorneys. Um, so what these programs look for are for sure a 40 hour training and some experience. And then depending on what the program is, um, it there may be additional requirements. So you may have to have had also an advanced training or um, an advanced training in a very specific area, such as dependency, the child abuse and neglect, or maybe guardianship, if it's a guardianship mediation program. So that's where the, um, the concept of certification comes in. Um, so to kind of to recap, you, you can come from any background and, you don't have to take a single class, but you're not really going to be able to find work as a mediator unless you have training and then um, start getting some experience. And the programs that you're likely to work for are the ones that are going to be looking for specific training. Perfect. Yeah, I just, I just, it's one of those funny things where it's like, hmm, it's, it's actually pretty unregulated. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a big argument across uh, the United States. There are, there, there are a couple camps, although um, I, I have heard through the grapevine that um, their states or maybe national organizations are leaning more and more towards certification just so that it's not so much um, you know, the wild, wild west um, 
and, yeah. and there are some states that that very much certify and regulate their mediators Nevada just doesn't happen to be one of them at this time yeah yeah and I couldn't agree more I mean there's people that really um even even in my therapy practice it's like gosh everywhere I go people just tell me everything and it's like have you ever thought of like getting certified in mediation because it really just gives you a framework and tools so that when that happens you just have a little bit more confidence and direction on what to do right absolutely absolutely so, even if you didn't want to be a mediator per se, um, I know Reno has a neighborhood mediation program where you can volunteer and actually just get some skills with the community. Um, there are other programs and places like that pretty much all over. Um, you can find that in pretty much any major city, I think. So there's places to practice your skills, but also the idea that um, a lot of them offer continuing education uh, credits or units, whatever your licensing board goes by. So if you're just kind of curious, it's also something nice to do. Um, you can be appointed as your as your company's peer mediator. You know, uh, they had a peer mediation at the high school I used to work at um, that I was kind of working through. And uh, now I'm I was really so curious, Margaret, about your experience with the juvenile program because, as we know, kids and adults learn differently. And if you can teach something to a, a kid, even even if they're in a, a troubled situation or a difficult time. I always love seeing what kids do with this stuff. So can you share a little bit about what you saw working with the juvenile program um, with mediation with the kids? Well, let's let's kind of be clear. There are there are two different things. So when we talk about the um, the the juvenile dependency mediation program, we're actually not working with kids. We are working with their parents. Um, that mediation comes into play when children have been removed from their parents for abuse and neglect. And there's gotcha. a super, yeah, super specific um, you know, court process. And sometimes the kids participate in the mediation, but most of the time they don't. But to your point, um, I did um, for our local uh, mediation, nonprofit mediation center, neighborhood mediation center, um, I was a part of that organization for quite a while. And um, I, I did help put together and teach a peer mediation program at one of our local high schools. And we did it for a couple years. And so I agree, it was so fun to teach these high school kids um, these wonderful skills. They're, they're really how to get along kind of skills that, um, that we should be teaching kids, you know, at a minimum from kindergarten on up, because these are life skills. Um, so, so it is, I think they're wonderful skills for, for younger people to learn. Yeah, like you said, if if some of this stuff could be curriculum to graduate high school, the world would be a different place. <laughs> yeah, it would be a better place, I'm convinced. So we keep we keep kind of hammering like skills, 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 and our listeners are like, okay, give me some. So <laughs> you had five tips on how to have a difficult conversation. And I would love for you to share what you have here and maybe offering just kind of a simple framework that if you've listened to this episode of something you can leave with today and feel a little more empowered with difficult conversations and conflicts in your own life or in your workplace or wherever that seems relevant to you. Yes, I am so happy to share these five tips because I think we're in the time of difficult conversations. There are so many things going on and, um, and as you can't turn on the news without hearing, you know, we're a nation divided, everyone's so divided. Um, and I think that if we had healthier approach to that division and to conflict, we wouldn't be such a nation divided. So that's really what these five tips are all about. And like you say, Christine, 
they can be applied personally, they can be applied in the workplace, they can be applied anywhere. Um, so I would start with um, before you broach that conversation, you know, there's an eye in conflict. Uh, <laughs> it, it takes two to tango here, and it's easy to, um, you know, think about what the other person is doing and what they probably think and how how they disagree with you. But we have to look to ourselves first. So before you start that conversation, ask yourself, what is my intention with this conversation? Um, is it to gain more information or more insight? Is it to verify, you know, what's happening? Or is it to prove that I'm right? And if your intention in approaching that conversation, and you have to be honest with yourself in answering this question, if your intention is to prove that you're right, it's probably not gonna be a good problem solving conversation because the other person, you know, is you're just gonna probably go round and round. So be honest about your intentions. And if you are, you know, honestly acknowledging, well, it's to prove I'm right, maybe see if you can back off of that a little bit. Um, and these other tips hopefully will help you with that. So let's say you, you decide to have the conversation. What is so key in every conversation is true listening. To practice what's called active listening. Active listening is so simple, yet so underutilized because all it is is repeating back what the other person said. We don't use it because maybe we are so distracted. We're always doing five things at once. The, you know, you hear text pinging, emails are coming in, your kids are interrupting, um, and that obviously is gonna interfere with listening. Or um, we might be too busy formulating a response in our head. And so we're not just listening to the other person. So that simple skill, of, okay, what I think I just heard you say was, and you just repeat it back. You don't put your spin on it. You don't, um, you know, indicate, I don't agree with that. You just reflect it back. And what's so beautiful about that is it focuses you in on the other person. And it also makes the other person feel heard. So you get that conversation off to a really good start with that simple technique. It might not feel natural, so I always tell people, go out and practice it. You can practice it at the grocery store, <laughs> you know, ask, ask the clerk, how was your day? And really, really listen. Um, so three would be respect that everyone has a perspective as, and is entitled to that perspective. We all view things through our own filter through our own lens that makes us who we are and we're all different. So we're gonna see things differently. So just as passionately as you feel about something, that's the same for the other person. I think recognizing that and acknowledging that can really help. It can help you settle down to do that listening, but it also puts a better frame around the conversation. Um, and that's why going back to that question of intention, if your intention is to prove that you're right, it's not really taking into account that the other person is gonna have a different perspective. Um, and, and the other person's probably gonna think that they're right. So just the simple act of respecting, I know you might feel differently, um, I think is really helpful for a problem solving conversation. And then the fourth tip would be to dig deeper into that perspective. 
So seek to understand that other person's perspective. And the best way to do that is to just ask questions in a non-judgmental, neutral way. In my 40-hour trainings, we spend a lot of time on practicing open-ended questions. So there are really two kinds of questions, questions that call for a yes or no answer. Those are closed questions. Those are what lawyers are taught to ask. And you see it on any court show you've ever watched. You know, isn't it true that on the night <laughs> of, you know, whatever. Um, these are the opposite. These are, you know, what is most important about, you know, this problem to you? Or, you know, why do you think this is happening? Um, how, how can we get around this? Those open-ended questions invite people to share more information. Closed questions are meant to pin people down to prove something, and open-ended questions really are truly to seek information. So the only caveat, again, is watch, watch your tone. You know, there's a big difference between why did you do that and why do you think that is? A why question can be excellent, but it, it, you need to, to watch your tone and really have that, um, that true desire to understand the other person's perspective. And when you can do that, you might get to tip five, which is to try to find some common ground. It's through those questions and that understanding, and I see this in mediation every day, because that's a lot of the mediator's role. We're the ones asking the questions and we're helping the parties to express themselves. And that's where you start finding the kernels of common ground. So find common ground, it hopefully through those open questions that you've asked, but if you're really getting nowhere, that's okay. Um, you know, not every conflict is resolvable. You've at least learned something about the other person and, and you know, in a true process, that other person is asking you open-ended questions as well, right? So it's not just um, you getting the other person to share his or her perspective, but you are sharing yours as well. Um, and And even if you can't, find a kernel, but I would lay you money, there's some kernel of, of common ground in there, um, then find common ground in something else. Because the one thing about conflict is it's made up of human beings. And we might not agree on one topic, but we're bound to find some commonalities that bind us together. So if you're having a really contentious conversation about COVID and immunizations or something like that, the common ground might be we both want this to be over. We both want, you know, our family and loved ones to come through this safely. We just disagree on how that happens. There's common ground in that. Um, and that's a, a wonderful way to, to leave a conversation or in best case scenario, you actually find a way to resolve it because you have asked those questions um, and really found that common ground. So I tried to think of a, um, a, a nice, you know, little acronym for my five tips, but I, I couldn't come up with one because what I came up with was all pack, which uh, does not convey what I'm trying to convey here. <laughs> I think those are excellent tips and thank you for sharing. Um, even just that five-step process alone can be a game changer. Absolutely. You know, it's really getting out of the mindset that conflict is something we do, like, like it's a doing and action 
rather than it's going to happen. It's it's an inevitable part of human life. As you said, we're dealing with humans. We all are going to have an off day or a mood or be hungry or angry or do something to hurt each other's feelings every once in a while. But having some ways to navigate the situation and not feeling so in the woods or lost in the ocean can be so helpful for ourselves and our community members. So thank you once again for doing what you do and, and really increasing and changing kind of the face of mediation, what it looks like, what it sounds like, and teaching so many members of our own community and hoping to expand that outside of this area. So for the people that are listening that are curious, maybe want to attend a class or find more about you, where could they find you, Margaret? So probably best place is my website, which is um, very simple, CrowleyMediation.com, um, all one word. Um, and I, you know, put some blog posts to talk about um, things related to conflict and, um, and conflict resolution. I put my classes up there. Um, really just um, hoping to provide information about what mediation, it, what, <clears throat> Joe will have to cut that, really hoping to provide information about what mediation is, um, you know, the benefits it can provide, how to get through a mediation. Um, but I also love to hear from people. So my email is, is on there, you know, feel free if you've got questions about mediation, send me an email. Um, I, I get people picking my brain about this all the time and uh, I have passion for it. I love to connect with people on it. Well, thank you so much again for coming on the show and sharing so much about what you do. It's been a pleasure and an honor once again to connect with you, Margaret. So this has been Humanity Meets Business, Business Therapy with Christine Salva, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, Advanced Certified Mediator, and Master Practitioner of NLP and Hypnosis. Thank you so much for listening and have a wonderful day. Thank you so much for having me, Christine. Of course. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Thank you.